0: The chapter of Mark's Gospel is where we're going to be uh, doing a little talk tonight, as they call it, a little, little talk. And there is a question in this passage that I want to deal with tonight. It's kind of a for men only sermon. It's kind of a, it's not Dad's Day, I know it's not Father's Day, but it is a kind of a um, for fathers type sermon. And so, you, you gals can listen in if you want, but for dads and, and, and young people, this, this sermon is, is especially for you. There's something that's always kind of uh, bothered me a little bit, confused me about uh, what we do here in the church, and that is the difference in which we, with which we celebrate Mother's Day and Father's Day. <laughs> uh, how we celebrate Mother's Day as opposed to how we celebrate Father's Day. you ever know? There is a big difference. On Mother's Day, we applaud and affirm, mothers, and we, everybody's all tearful, you know, and, and very seldom do you ever hear a preacher uh, reproach, you know, uh, rebuke, and uh, uh, take a shot at the mothers. You just don't do that. One of the roughest letters I've ever gotten, handwritten, unsigned, was from a person who didn't like the way I handled a mother's day. (laughs) And this letter went like this. It said, I cannot believe that you would allow a day like that to go by without giving sufficient honor to mothers. I mean, it was just, it was uh, sautéed in anger. I mean, it was tough. And so you just don't mess with Mother's Day. But Father's Day. Now Father's Day is a, that's the, that's the favorite time for the pastor to unleash his passion on these fathers who neglect you know, their families and work too much and don't spend enough time with their kids. Man, we love it when we got fathers in here and take a shot at them. And so fathers become the object of our um, uh, exhortation and confrontation and rebuke. Now, not only does that happen in the church, I, I think it, it happens in the home, I mean, too. I mean, what, what about the home where you live? I mean, come on, give us a break. How many fathers are affirmed and uh, encouraged in your home or the one you, you lived in, Okay. Uh, Louis Zabonski has a book entitled Fathers and Sons. And he has this moving moment from his past that he recalls. Listen to it, quote, I vividly recall sitting at the table with my two brothers and mother. I remember cringing at my mother's attacks on my father. Look at him, she would say in Yiddish. His shoulders were bent down in failure. He doesn't have the courage to get a better job and make more money. He's a beaten man. My father would keep his eye toward the plate and never answer her. She never extolled his virtues or his persistence or the fact that he worked so hard. Instead, she constantly focused on the negative and create an image, created an image to his three sons of a man without a fight crushed by a world over which he had no control. He's not going to fight back against her constant criticism, and that had an effect of conferring its validity to her sons. My mother's treatment and my father's image did not communicate to me that marriage was a happy state of being. I could, that's a probably an understatement. I was not especially motivated to assume the role of a husband and a father myself from my observation of my mother and my father. Now in light of that, I want to I wanna affirm dads here tonight on this night. I want to mm-hmm. affirm the men of your house. And I want to accentuate the positive. I want to focus on the positive things in light of that. And my my Bible is turned to chapter 7 of Matthew's Gospel before we get to the text. This way it says, If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? Now I'm willing to admit to say that I know there are a lot of things About fathers we need to forget there are a lot of failures and a lot of mistakes and there is some abuse perhaps that we need to forget somehow close the door to that but those kinds of things of those kind of kinds of fathers are in the minority I believe I'm convinced that the overwhelming majority of fathers want what is best for their children now for sure we all are evil in our basic nature. I'm a selfish person. I have a lot of pride and I make a lot of, you know, I, I, I fail a lot. But I can honestly say that what I want for my children is what I believe is best for them. And I think that's true of the overwhelming majority fathers. Now I hear all the time young people or kids and kids, say, and I've even heard some adults as they reflected back upon their childhood, well my father was this terrible person and I'm the reason, I'm like I am because of my father and on and on it goes. I don't really believe that. I believe that most fathers really love their kids and want what is best for them. Somebody asked me not long ago, you play golf, well I used to play at golf. I remember the first time I decided I want to play golf, my my neighbor in this little town where I had a seminary church was this avid golfer and he got out in the out on the school ground every afternoon and he'd hit golf balls. I mean it looked so easy. I mean anybody could do that. So I went out there one day. His name was Ripito Donald Ripito and I he was hitting those golf balls and I said, "Would you help me to learn how to play golf?" He said, "Yeah, I will." So he set the golf ball up on a tee and he said now hit it well i mean it doesn't move and i swung at that thing so help me god had missed it i mean it was and it was like all afternoon what i didn't when i didn't swing over it i was hitting the ground behind it and he was about 15 minutes into that i could tell he was absolutely sick and tired of trying to teach me how to play golf but about the time i got to where i could hit the thing it never would go in the direction i wanted it to go I mean, I'd be, aim that baby right out there, and it'd head over here. I mean, you know, and I'd adjust, and it'd head over here. I never got where I could make it go the way I wanted it to. Now, it looks so easy, doesn't it, being a parent? I mean, I knew exactly how to do it before I was one. You know, and it looks so easy. But about the time you make contact with kids, you discover that you don't really know how to do it like it ought to be done. Listen to me kids, your dad may not talk to you like he, you want him to, but he wants to do that. And he may not express his love to you like you would like for him to, but he wants to. And he may not do the things that you expect a father to do or you see some of your friends' fathers do it, but I can tell you for sure that he wants to. Because I believe that in the heart of every father is a desire to give good gifts to his children. If they ask him for a stone, he won't give them bread because his basic desire is to love his kids. I really believe that. So I want to talk about, I want to just affirm in these few minutes fathers and say three cheers for fathers. And I want to do it in three ways if you've take, if you got your outline there. First of all, three cheers to a father who knows that his work is important, but his family is essential. He knows his work is important, but he also knows his family is essential. He knows that his work is temporary, and he knows that this vocation on on which he has embarked and has spent his life is just for a while, and that his family... Is forever and that the legacy of his life is his children he knows his job is important but he knows his family is essential and he recognizes that his children do not remember what he does at work what they remember is what he does at home Irma Bombeck has this marvelous way of saying stuff you know and I love, you know, I read her every morning in Dallas Morning News. Irma Bombeck talks about the mystery of a father's work, and she says this. She said, when, my, when I was a kid growing up, when my father went off to work, it was to me it was kind of like the light in the refrigerator. Every house had one, but nobody knew really what went on when you closed the door, okay? So when the father closes the door and walks out of the house, your kids have absolutely no idea what goes on, don't care, most of them don't, but they do care what happens when you come back in the house and close the door. For when, you're, when you uh, leave your house and when you come back, what happens is, is that you create memories in your house that your children will never forget. Now I want to read you this kind of long letter from a son to his father. So, so hang on here, it's pretty long give me your undivided attention dear dad I don't know how to say this except just to come out and say it I wish we'd spent more time together when I was growing up I don't want you to feel guilty or bad because it wasn't all your fault you were trying to balance your family with your career and your service for God and I was intent on my friends my sports occasionally my studies and when I got old enough, girls. Somehow, we both got busy and time got away, not always, but too often. You worked too much. I didn't invite you to be, be a part of what I was doing often enough. It wasn't until I dropped out of college that we realized we were down to our last chance to really be together. We made the most of that year And to me, it was the best year we ever had. That was when we got close and finally figured out who each other really was. It was great having enough time to do it. Why do I wish that we'd spend more time together? You managed well enough to keep me from resenting your career. You entertained at my birthday parties. You came to my games. You and Mom created rituals that gave me a sense of security and belonging. Why do I think you should have been around more if I didn't miss you back then? It's simple, Dad, because I miss you now. I'm 26 years old. I have a wife, a career, and a life of my own. My childhood is gone now, and I can't do a thing about it. A few years ago they tore down my elementary school to put up an office building. The other night I ran into Robin Roach who was the first girl I ever kissed back when we were in the 7th grade. And I felt so old when she told me that she was a senior analyst for a major corporation. There's a parking lot now in the field where my friends and I used to camp out. I'm losing my hair. Everything that was a part of my childhood is slipping away into time and all that is left of it for me to hold on to, look at this, is a bunch of photographs and my memories. Who am I is all caught, who I am is all caught up with those special things that happened when I was a kid. And I think about them a lot these days. It wasn't very hard for me to come up with the stories and these letters, Dad, they are the stories I tell all the time when I'm trying to explain who I am or what, I'm, what I think or how I feel about something. Some of the stories are sad. Some of the memories are painful. But most of them are a joy to recall. Over the years, though, all of those images of growing up have sorted themselves out inside of me according to their relative importance. Now watch this. A million hours of television are forgotten. But the 20 minutes I watched with you, Carl Velinda, walk the tightrope over Veterans Stadium are as fresh in my mind now as if it were yesterday, not 15 years ago. I spent a lot of my childhood with my buddy John Baxter and we would sit for hours and talk about every model airplane and every moment we ever had. Not much about school, mind you, just the things that mattered to us as boys. I played in a lot of soccer games. But the state championship game is the only one that I still know by heart, the only one that means something to me even now. I cherish that game like a treasure because even in defeat, my team and I played with all our hearts and we were proud. I dream sometimes about blocking the shot that beat us, but it doesn't bother me anymore that we lost. It was enough to have the experience. The times that I remember best, though, are the times I spent with you i love those memories best of all dad and they're a big part of who i am that's the whole point of these letters for me my childhood is gone and i'll never be able to be with you the way i was when i was a little boy i'll never be that small and you'll never seem that big again but i have stories and they comfort me when i am overwhelmed by the world When I'm too old all of a sudden, when I lose my sense of wonder, they're all I have of my boyhood. And the reason I wish we had spent more time together is that I wish I had more of them now. It isn't that you didn't do enough, you see, for I would always want more. You're the king of the world back then, the imp of fun, the man with all the answers, the one who could always fix what was broken, you made life seem magical to me. When you die, Dad, I'll surely go to pieces for a while because I still count on you more than anyone knows, but in the end it will be all right. I'll have my stories, and in them I will always have part of you, the part that tells me who I am and where I came from. I only wish there were more because what there is means all the world to me, love Bart. What a fantastic thing. Let me tell you what he's saying. He's saying, Dad, the thing that I remember most about my childhood and I lament that is gone are those things that we did together when you close the door and we were together. Three cheers for a father who knows his job is important, but his family is essential. If you have a father like that, young people, you need to thank him tonight and you need to be grateful for it. And if he's already dead and gone, you need to thank God that you had one like that. Number two, three cheers for a father who has affection and demonstrates affection for, to his wife, but has plenty left over for his kids. Now, one thing I've noticed, and I, I love to do this, uh, is to go to graduation exercises. And, and, you know, people are funny. Art Linkletter made a million dollars on that. And you can just watch folks, and I mean, that's the funniest thing you'll ever see. And I've watched, you know, as kids graduate, mothers just get all worked, over, worked up over that. I mean, they're up taking pictures and they're screaming and, 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 you know, the kids come off of the stage and mother's there to hug them and, you know, and, and, and make over them. And these fathers are kind of standing back, you know, trying to be cool. You know, and they'll kind of hold, you know, stick out their hand maybe and shake hands and say, I'm proud of your son, you know, and, and it's kind of cool. But occasionally a father will just lose his composure And he'll just grab his son, you know, and he'll swing him around and they'll hug and he's probably real glad to get him out of school in the first place. But there is this demonstration of affection. Isn't it wonderful to be able to be touched by your father? If you've got a father like that, young people, you need to go home tonight and thank him. And you need to be grateful for that. And if he's already dead, you need to thank God that you had one like that. Number three, three cheers for a father who respects his children and listens to them, but who listens to his God more. Now watch this. Rare is a father who really listens to his children. And that's a wonderful thing when you know your dad respects you and he respects what you have to say. I mean, I've been in, with groups where, You know, the adults will be talking and the kids are kind of off on the side and they're just saying, man, I wish I could get in on that. You know, i I got something to say. And all of a sudden some, you know, parent will say, what do you think? And the kids will just go crazy. I mean, they'll talk the rest of the night. That's why the psalmist said, I will talk to the Lord because he heard me. Okay? Now it's a wonderful thing when there is a father who will listen to his children. It's even more wonderful to have a father who has an ear for God. You know, sometimes I think that, pe- that men, now guys, is this true? Sometimes men are afraid to, to, to demonstrate that they have a walk with God because they're afraid they'll lose their manliness. It's kind of like, well, the, the more ungodly you are, the more of a man you are. Let me tell you what, that is not the truth. The most courageous people I know on planet earth are the men who love God with all their heart. Lofton Hudson, a great missionary to China. His father was a missionary to China. This is what he said about his dad. He said, the sun never rises on China, but what it finds my father on his knees in prayer. Now if you've got a father who has an ear for God, and an ear for you, and cares about your concerns and hurts, if you've got a father like that, you need to go home and tell him thank you. You need to be grateful for that. And you, if he's already dead, you need to thank God that you had one. Now this is the story tonight of a father. Chapter 9, Mark, you thought we were never going to get there, but we did. The ninth chapter of the Gospel of of the, of the book of Mark, in verse fourteen, follow with me. And when they came back to the disciples, that is, these three disciples and Jesus, they saw a large crowd around them, and some scribes were arguing with them. Let me lay the foundation of this. You know, this is the account of the trans. That means that the glory of God broke out of this veil of human flesh. And he shined in a bright, with a brightness brighter than the sun. And Peter, you know, he, he coined that phrase, don't just stand there, say something. He said, you know, I, th- we can't, this is too good to leave. Let's just stay here from now on. But you can't stay on the, va- on the mountaintop. You've got to take the mountain down to the valley. So they came down from the mountain and boom, I mean, they ran head on into reality. For the reality of life is not what you find on a mountaintop. The reality of life is what you find down in the valley. What they found down in the valley were these disciples, the other nine, and they were arguing with the scribes, and they were, there was bickering going on between them, and there was human misery in their midst. For in the midst of these men there was this father who had this son who was demonized. Now, if you've ever been around demonic activity, you will never forget it. But this father lived with a son who was demonized all of his life. It defies the imagination what that must have been like, to live in the same house with a child who was demon-possessed. And here is this father bringing his son, trying to get him help. How many times have you gone to the doctor's office and you're sitting in the, in the waiting room and there are kids there in the waiting room? Let me ask you, who brings them? Talk to them. Mom. Okay. Huh. Yeah, Mom does, right? I mean, you're sitting around in the, in the waiting room and you see all these kids and they're brought there, sick kids, they're brought there by Mom. This guy takes off from work. Now, I know I'm stretching it a little bit this guy takes off from work. And he has this son who is demonized and he's looking for help and that's where Jesus comes in. And here is a father, now watch this, here is a father who, three cheers for this father, for his work was important, but his family was essential and the well-being of his son took precedence and priority over his work And so he brought this son to to find some help. Greater was his concern about his son than his occupation at this time. What happened was, is that when when he got to these disciples and he asked for help, they couldn't help him. Now it takes about 15 seconds, or 20, if you're a reader like I am, to read this story. It's hard to imagine in a story you can read in 15 seconds the real pathos of this story. For this boy was demonized for a lifetime. Matthew says that he was very ill, often falling into the fire and the water. And Luke, the physician, puts it like this. Spirits seized him and he screamed, And he went into convulsions and he foams at the mouth. And he found no help. And so he says to Jesus, as he sees this man shining in the distance, he comes running to Jesus and says, Your disciples were helpless. Now the response of Jesus is an interesting response, verse 19. O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Now, remember that Jesus is totally human, and that is a totally human response. Uh, you know, a paraphrase of that was, how long am I going to have to listen to this garbage? I mean, we've been over this over and over and over again. And in the words of Dave Edwards, you still don't get it? I mean, when are you going to get it? And he was totally put out with them. For these disciples had the power to cast out demons. They had done it just days previous. So why were they not able to do it now? My humble and accurate opinion is is because they had begun to operate like professional exorcists and they they left out the basic. They left out prayer. And Jesus said, this comes only by prayer. Bring him to me. And so they brought this boy, he brought his This boy to Jesus and when this demon saw Jesus, he made one final assault on the boy and on Jesus. Let me say parenthetically, you may not fear God, but the demonic world does. And so these demons went into this um, assault against this boy and in one violent reaction he fell on the ground and begin to convulse. But Jesus is not intimidated. And he asked the question that I wanted to ask you tonight. We've come to the question, the crucial question. How long has this been happening? Oftentimes, a doctor will ask that. He gets to the history first. One of the first things he does is deal with the history. How long have you had this problem? I went to a doctor one time. He said, have you ever had this problem before? I said, yes. He said, well, you got it again. All right. So, just a joke. Now, he said, how long have you had this problem? And the father said, ever since he was a boy, how did he know that if he had been all at work all the time? And there is a grand moment here. I don't want you to miss this moment. This boy has been like this from since he was a child and I haven't been able to get over it. And sometimes he falls in the fire and sometimes he says he falls in the water and that word in the Greek is plural. It means waters. And what he's saying is this, that this boy of mine... This has happened over and over again. He falls in the fire and he falls in the waters. Talk to me. Who gets him out when he falls in the fire and falls in the water? His daddy. How could he do that if he spends all of his time at something else? I want you to see this, watch this, so graphic is this. That between this boy and self-destruction is a hands-on father. I'm no longer a boy. I'm older than I want to be. Much older than this guy right in his dad. My dad is dead. But I can honestly say tonight without... Any uh, hypocrisy or deceit between me and my own self destruction was my father. Now, what he did, I didn't like, and how he disciplined me, I resented, and the restrictions he placed on my life, I chafed under. But I want to thank God tonight for the Father that stood between me and self-destruction. Now look at verse 22. Something happening here in verse 22. Look at the change of pronouns. Look at this. And it has often thrown him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on... Look at the change of pronouns. Take pity on us and help us. And now he's perfectly identified with this son. He's going to live or die for his son. And if you're looking for some kind of an example of a father that stands between his son and self-destruction, you need to look at the father who is able to accept his son's needs as his own needs and care about me if you can help us it's like i'm as much i'm hurting when my son hurts and so jesus answered verse 23 if you can man you're looking at god what do you mean if you can Immediately, the boy's father cried out and began saying, I do believe. Help my unbelief. I like this guy. I mean, you talk about realistic. Now, I have a feeling that I would have, oh, excuse me. I didn't mean I'd have said something. Oh, pardon me. I didn't mean you got the wrong impression. Of course, I believe it, you can do that. That's not what he said. What he said was this. I believe a little bit, but I doubt some too. That's a grand admission. Some of you can't make it. I've listened to some of you talk as if you never doubt. Now, I know you do. What I know is you're afraid to say you do. What this boy, what this father said was this, I believe, but when the sun sets and it gets dark and I hear my son growl like an animal and I hear him scream like a demon and I see him convulging in the floor, I get afraid. that it'll never happen, he'll never get well. You see, you you can be honest with God, and you can admit your doubt and your need, and you can pray to God, he knows it anyway. Lord, you've got to help me if I believe. Now, on the back of your sheet, I want to take these three examples, and in three minutes, you believe that, don't you? In three minutes, I want to use these examples to make an application. From the example of the Father, I want to ask you fathers a very personal question. How long has the relationship at home been personally neglected? I know your work is terribly important. I know you're under pressure. I know it takes all the energy you have just to survive. But you can't neglect those personal relationships there is nothing more important. I want to ask you young people a very personal question. Hear me. How long has this attitude you have about your family, your mother and your father, how long have you had that kind of attitude? And how long has it been since you've expressed to your parents how grateful you are For your parents. From the disciples, I want to ask a second question. How long have you been living spiritually depleted? These men must have forgotten those early morning hours with God. They must have forgotten that you run on empty if you don't fill the tank with your spiritual devotional life. They must have forgotten that they could not do anything except by prayer. They must have forgotten that you've got to maintain contact with God on a daily basis or you have nothing to set before anyone. How long have you been running on spiritual empty? How long have you experienced this, this feeling of being cold and empty and indifferent toward God. How long have you been that way? And what are you going to do about it? How long is it going to take before you come back to God? My wife knows that I have a bad habit and that's running the car on empty. Now, now we got those new cars and they have those lights, those warning lights. They make a lot of, that make more difference than those needles and did y'all see me the other day weaving back and forth? I wasn't drunk. I was trying to slosh enough gas up into the up into the uh, gas line till I could get to the uh, to the service station. I, I have a I have a habit of trying to run that baby on fumes. It, it won't do it. It it won't happen. And some of you are trying to run on empty. You're trying to do what you've got to do on empty. You're trying to be parents. God knows how tough that is. And you're trying to be business people. And you're trying to be church members. And you're trying to be Christians. And you're running on your own energy. And it just wears you out. And you don't have anything. No power. Isn't it about time for you to come to Jesus and ask Jesus What's wrong with me? Why can't I do what people need me to do? And why can't I be what people need me to be? That's what they were asking. And from our Lord's example, let me ask a third question. How long has it been since you've gotten personally involved in somebody else's needs? Made yourself available. Man, man. What a sight. This father looked up in the midst of all these disciples who were absolutely helpless, and he was hopeless, and he looks up and he sees this shining man coming toward him with the Shekinah still shining on his skin. His heart must have started racing. And in the compassion of our Lord, he dealt with this boy and healed him. And this father never forgot it. Now, we don't have a single clue as to what happened to this boy or this father after this night, after this event. But I can tell you one thing. This father never got over what Jesus did for his son. If you want to be remembered after you're gone, you forget about what you do at work. If you want to be remembered after you're gone, you make yourself available to a boy. And I visited just a little bit after church this morning with a young man who who told me how he, he may share his testimony here one of these days. He told me how that he'd been able to stand up in a group of people and share. His testimony and what it meant to him to be able to make himself available to help other people who've been in the same condition he was in. It does do something for the heart to make yourself, to get beyond your own needs and problems, make yourself available to others. Let's pray together. Our Father, we know that what is said. Nothing really important, nothing value, except you take that word and apply it to the heart that needs to hear it. And we pray that you will elicit a response that would please you tonight, for I pray in Jesus' name. Now we're going to have an invitation tonight for for, for those of you who need to who just feel like you need to renew your life. Perhaps to join this church. To make public your commitment, to give your heart to Jesus Christ, whatever God leads you to do, in your heart of hearts, would you do it while we stand, sing?